It's summer. Officially, it's summer. I think that deserves a cheer, doesn't it? It has, it has been such a long time coming. I don't know. I've, I've, I know I've felt it. And especially, you know, like the nice weekend that we had this weekend, the sun is out. It's really starting to feel like this, the season is changing. And for some people, not all, some people, even the school year is done and summer holidays have begun. And uh, so, but not only are we in a new season as, as, you know, in the school calendar or in the season's calendar, but also in the church year, you know, we've entered into a season that we call ordinary time, which is uh, far from ordinary. It's where we, uh, we've already, we've moved through the life of Christ throughout the year, beginning in Advent and then ending with Pentecost. And, and now we, we join the church of uh, you know, throughout history and throughout the world in asking the question, okay, now that we have the Holy Spirit and we've been given a commission we, to go and make disciples and to be God's uh, uh, image bearers, the, the people who are preaching the good news in the world, how do we live? How do we live as people of God? And so throughout this summer, throughout this ordinary time, we're going to be looking at a, a book of the Bible, of the Psalms, and we're going to be moving through the language of prayer as a response to how do we, how do we live? Part of that, as the Heidelberg Catechism uh, tells us, uh, prayer is a response of thankfulness to God. And so as we look at uh, the language of prayer this summer, we're, we've landed uh, this morning on Psalm 42 and 43. And in this psalm, we hear from this psalmist about how he is thirsting, right? He says, as, as the, my soul pants uh, like, the, like the deer panting for, for water. And it reminded me, reading through this psalm this week, reminded me of a scene from a uh, James Bond movie, actually, The Quantum of Solace. And it's uh, near the end of the movie after James Bond has done the James Bond thing and, and defeated all the bad guys and, and he's, he's taking care of the last bad guy, okay? And, and he decides that he's going to drive this person out to the middle of the desert and drop them off, which is a very unchristian thing to do. But James Bond does it. And uh, so he drops this guy off in the middle of the desert and uh, the desert is very dry, very hot, very sunny, and James Bond knows something knows that human beings need what? Water. Need water. That nothing is, not much is, torments a human being more than being without water. But instead of giving this man a, a jug of water, James Bond does another unchristian thing and gives him a can of motor oil. And he says, I bet you won't make it 20 miles without drinking this. And that scene uh, struck me because what James Bond realizes is how much our bodies need water and will do anything to quench that. Even drinking something that we know is, is going to kill us. The psalmist here is talking to us not about physical water, but about spiritual water. And is, is making that connection. It's the same thing. Without experiencing God and his presence in our lives, our souls will die. 
And so that's where we begin this psalm this morning, is, is, is seeing that this psalmist is, is, is experiencing this, this loneliness that comes from spiritual dryness, thirsting for God. Life tells us that what this psalmist is experiencing will happen to every human being. At some point, every human being, no matter who you are, We'll experience periods of time where God will feel distant, where we will feel lonely, where we will thirst for God's presence in our lives. It happened to the Ox Christian Oxford professor, C.S. Lewis. Yeah, after his wife passed away from cancer, when he needed God the most, he wrote this. He said, if you go to God when your need is desperate, when, when all other help is vain, what do you find? A door slammed in your face. And the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. C.S. Lewis is being honest about how he's feeling. And this is not the way that God always is present in our lives when we need him most. But that's the way that C.S. Lewis was feeling in that moment. And we have times in our lives, too, where we need God the most and we feel like he isn't there and we don't know what to do about it. The Christian life can be a little bit like baseball sometimes. You know, you can be the best hitter in the American League. You can, you can be leading in, in batting average and RBIs, but, you know, every hitter will go through times when their timing is off, when they're having trouble picking up the curveball, when they go through a slump and it's just not happening. Just like that, even the most mature Christians go through times in their lives when they don't experience God, when they don't feel him in, in worship or in, in private prayer or in devotions. Our souls pant for spiritual water sometimes. And the danger is that if, as a Christian, if we, if we feel this way, that we, that we let it get to us and create guilt, right? Thinking, oh, like, how can I be a Christian and feel this way? I can't let anyone else see that I'm not experiencing God. Because they'll think I'm weak. Because they'll think I'm doing something wrong. Because they'll think that I'm not good enough. Am I not good enough? And all these questions start popping into our minds. And if you're not a Christian, when we experience this emptiness that the psalmist is describing, which is, which is a common uh, uh, human experience, this emptiness, searching for something that we know is there, but we just can't quite grasp, we can actually be tempted to despiritualize it and, and think, you know, I just have to, to find a new hobby or uh, f find a new job, or find a new spouse, or, and the list goes on. You know, and, and both of these responses, you know, taking it and moralizing it, making ourselves feel guilty, or demoralize, demoralizing it, despiritualizing it, are the wrong answer. That's not what this psalmist does. And so as, as we look at the language of prayer, we're taught a language of prayer for times when we feel spiritually dry in this psalm. And so let's look at that this morning. And the first thing that I want to point out is, wh what's the attitude of this psalmist as he approaches prayer? Is that he, he actually digs in. right? When, when we're tempted to, to disconnect, 
to, to back off from spiritual things when we're not experiencing a vibrant, uh, uh, experiencing God in a vibrant way, this psalmist actually digs in, right? He leans into prayer. The psalmist talks about how he wishes that he could go with the people and lead the procession to God's house, to go with the multitude of people worshiping God, how he longs for that. And the psalm is, is saying to us how important it is to, in these times of spiritual dryness, to be with our community, to go to church, to spend time in prayer, to continue doing the things that we, we were doing before, to dig in and pray. Don't disconnect. And then how do we pray? Well, three things that I want to point out. Three things that this psalmist does that, that, that give us a language of prayer for times when we feel like this. First is pray honestly. Pray honestly. This psalm is saturated with honesty. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Or where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. Or these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Or I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? And then, of course, the chorus of this psalm is, you know, why are you downcast, O my soul? He's, so he not only speaks honestly to God, but he's also speaking honestly to himself to his own soul. I was not taught to pray like this. This was not something that was, that was taught to me, to be, to be honest to God like this. And I wonder if you experience the same thing. So I, I wonder if sometimes we're a little bit fearful of just laying it all out, out there to God, wondering, you know, what if, what if God is... is He's not happy with me. How, how can I be honest with him and then, and then you know, maybe experience rejection from him? And so we just you know, try to be nice to God and keep him happy with us in our prayers. But that's not what this psalmist does. He digs in and he prays honestly. How is he feeling? What is he thinking? What is he longing for? After all, God can handle it. He's God. He can handle it. He can handle our honesty. And he knows our hearts already. This is actually how the psalmists prayed. Throughout the whole 150 psalms, they're brutally honest about the way that they're feeling. This is not how the Israelites prayed. Right? The Israelites often grumbled to God behind his back about the things that they wanted. But the psalmists, uh, one commentator that I read this week mentioned this. He said, the psalmists actually speak honestly to God, directly to him. Instead of the Israelites grumbling behind God's back, they, they faced God and they told him how they were feeling. And this is important for us as we move through times of spiritual dryness to speak our hearts, pour out our souls to God honestly. But also, this, the psalmist prays confidently. It says, My soul is downcast within me, therefore 
I will remember you. Or put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Or send me your light and your truth and let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. This, the psalmist is honest and he's not insecure either about who his God is. He knows that, that his God, even though he's not experiencing God in, in the way that he wants to, and he's, he's longing for that, he still is confident that his God is God, that he will, that he will follow through with what he promised that he would do to be, to be near to him. Uh, going back to the baseball image illustration, the, that players, when they go through t- times, you know, like uh, uh, um, athletic dryness, when things just are not working well and they're not performing well, they, they you know, may be interviewed by somebody. And the person would, will say to them, you know, you're not playing very well. <laughs> what are you doing to change that? And, and often the player will respond, nothing. Nothing. I'm not changing anything. I'm confident in my ability as a baseball player. And I'm just doing the same thing day after day. I am confident in my skills. And I'm confident that I have the talent. And eventually, I'll get it going again. Eventually, things will be different. Eventually, I'll be able to pick up the curveball again. And, and quite honestly, it does happen that way. Right? And so... Prayer is not a performance thing, but, but the, the image of that baseball player, the confidence that he has, is the same confidence that, that the psalmist has in who God is. He doesn't change how he prays. He doesn't change what he asks for, what he longs for. Instead, he remains confident that his God will follow through. Do we pray like this? And lastly, and this is stemming off the confidence, is that this, this prayer is actually saturated in trust of what God is going to do. The psalmist, you know, he says, send forth your light and your truth and let them guide me. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to, my, my, to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. And then he submits to, to trusting God. He says, you know, then I will go to the altar. To God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O oh God, my God. And the, the psalm is a psalm uh, uh, from the sons of Korah. And these were the temple musicians. And so when this psalmist is saying, I will praise you with the harp, that's saying, I will, I will return to doing what I, what I do best. And that is playing music in the temple. I will worship, O oh God, my God. And through this, this psalm, which, which starts with a desperate, and lonely plea. By the end of it, we don't get that feeling anymore. We, we, we see this, this prayer has, has transformed the psalmist. And the last chorus, if you read Psalm 42 and 43 straight through, the last chorus has a different ring to it. You might even be able to pick it up if I read the last few verses. The psalmist says, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O oh God, my God. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? 
Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It sounds more hopeful. Has anything changed in the psalmist's situation? No. Has God's presence come to him? There's no indication of that, that the psalmist is feeling God. But the psalm, the psalm is more hopeful, more confident. And I wonder if that is because of his prayer. And, and R.C. Sproul, the, the Christian theologian, uh, says it so well. He says, when we pray, he talks about prayer, and he says, prayer does change things. Prayer is powerful, and it changes things. All kinds of things. But the most important thing it changes is us. Is us. If we pray like this, it will change us. Some of us may be sitting here and thinking, you know, okay, I get how this is how God wants me to pray to overcome spiritual dryness or the, the loneliness, isolation that we feel. How can I do this? How can I pray honestly? How can I pray confidently? How can I trust God when, when I don't even know if I deserve God to even listen to my prayer? See, we can stop feeling God's presence, and it can tempt us to think, I don't feel God because I'm a sinful person. That's why. I haven't earned his presence in my life. What is, how is prayer going to change that? I can't pray honestly because I'm scared that, it, that if I open up my heart to God, that, that he's going to reject me. He's, he's not going to come to me. What if I pour out my soul to him and he doesn't answer me? I won't be able to recover from that. I can't pray confidently because I'm not really sure that God will actually follow through. I doubt. I can't pray trusting him because at the end of the day, I know I'm a lot more like Jesus' disciples than I am than like Jesus, who Jesus said had little faith. I'm just like them. I have little faith. I doubt. How am I supposed to pray this way? How did the psalmist pray this way? Well, the psalmist did something like this. He, he, he prayed this to himself on the basis of God's promises. He prayed and he said, I will pray this way. I will pray honestly, confidently, and trusting God because of his covenant, because of the promises that God made to always be with us, to never leave us. I can stand on that covenant and plead before God. But I wonder if there was a little bit of doubt in his mind. What if God forgets about his promise? What if God is not faithful to his covenant? But brothers and sisters, we have something that is different than just the covenant that God made. We have Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God's covenant fulfilled he is our representative before God now. Our official representative who brings our prayers to God. And through him, we know that we will be heard and that we will be answered. Not because of us, but because of him. How did Jesus 
do that? How, how did he become our representative before God? Well, first he united himself to us. He, the, the Gospel of John says that he became flesh. Jesus became a human being. He became like us in every way except that he didn't sin. He was never spiritually dry. He never experienced times when he was distant from God. In fact, throughout the entire Gospels, it says it's constantly that Jesus was full of God's Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, except for one time. When he cried out the exact words of this psalmist, he says, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Except for Jesus knew why. He says, my, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Save me from this torment. Save me from this spiritual thirst that I have. No. No. For it was this very reason that I came. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Jesus knew why. And it was because of us. It was because he was carrying the weight of our sin on his shoulders. And he went to the dark place that we are so fearful of. He embraced spiritual dryness, the thirsting for God that we long for, for us. And he went to the cross alone. See, because of Jesus, we can do something that this psalmist couldn't. We can look to the cross, to the place where the love of God embraced our spiritual dryness and died so that we don't have to experience that anymore. Jesus Christ died so that we could have God's Spirit with us all the time, in every place. And now Jesus is sitting in heaven, and he's actually getting in between us and God. He intercedes is the, the word that the Bible uses, but it means that he, he gets between God and he pleads to God on our behalf. So every time we pray to him, he is, he's the one who says to God, 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 listen to this cry, not because of this person, but on behalf of me, because I passed the test. I cleared the bar that you required of them, and so listen to them because of me means that despite our sins, despite our faults and our weaknesses, we can actually enter our Heavenly Father's throne room worthy because of Him. This gives us the confidence to pray like this psalmist does. Confidently, honestly, trusting in God because of what He's done. You know, for us though, this, this doesn't change the fact that sometimes we do experience spiritual dryness and, and thirsting for God, like C.S. Lewis, right? Crying to God and feeling alone. But it doesn't mean that God is apart from us. 
It doesn't mean that he's not with us. We know he is because of the cross. And if God went, went into, part of, part of the Heidelberg Catechism says that God descended to, to hell so that we know that we, when we are experiencing hellish torments that Jesus Christ is there with us. And so when we are experiencing dryness, we can look to the cross where, where Christ was dry and know that he is there with us. And, and so it doesn't mean when we experience these times, it doesn't mean that we are alone. We can look to the cross and know that he is with us. And even though we don't know why we experience these things, if I look back at my life to times when I have not felt God's presence, when it's been tough to pray, when I've been like this psalmist has been, when I've come out the other side, I've looked back and seen that God has used that for so much growth to make me more like him, make me more like Jesus. It's times like what this psalmist is going through that God transforms us. And this prayer, this type of prayer, plays a powerful part in transforming our hearts and helping us to rely on God more for life and breath and everything. That's the irony here. That's the irony in this psalm, actually. This psalm of lament, where God is distant, God's name is mentioned more than in any other psalm. God is there, even when we don't feel him. And we can pray like this. He will hear us. He will change us. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus who went to the place where we are fearful of. So that when we experience times and we don't understand why we don't feel your presence, Lord, when you feel distant from us, that we know that you, you are with us. God, give us your spirit to give us the confidence and the, the, to pray honestly, to pour out our souls to you. Lord, that we would be transformed, changed to look more like you. Father, we ask that you would uh, be with us as we experience these times of loneliness and that you would be at work in our hearts. God, in all these things we pray in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior. Amen.